This is the Luke 10-2 podcast, a conversation about preaching, planting, and leading with Noah Oldham. On today's episode, we sit down with Noah to talk about application in preaching. Noah gives us a framework and some helpful strategies for applying the text to our audience. Let's get started. Noah, today we're going to talk about application and preaching. And application is one of those words that everybody says, you know, you need it in the sermon. Yeah. So what do you mean when you say that a sermon needs to include application? Yeah, so for me, as I began looking at preaching books and reading and seeing different models, everybody's got application in their formula. That kind of the famous trifecta is explanation, illustration, application. Look at a text. Um, somebody else adds argumentation in there as well. Application's always in there. Um, people would say simply it's applying the text to the lives of the hearers. But for my own purposes, here's how I try to think through this. The grid that I've come up with that really fuels the vision of our church is the vision for discipleship. Discipleship is knowing, loving, and following Jesus. So any disciple is going to do those three things. And so when I preach, I want to make sure I help someone know, love, and follow him. And it really fits that grid of explanation, illustration, application. I help them know by explaining the text. I help them love Jesus by illustrating the text. It even helps me illustrate in certain ways. So it's not about cute stories about cats that I found on the internet, but it's something that stirs their affection for Christ. And then the application is how I help someone follow Jesus. So when someone says application, what they should mean, I believe, is how do I take what all that I've said and help every person in the congregation actually obey it? Or to use the words of James, to not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Because James told us, if we are hearers only and not doers as well, we are idiots that look in the mirror and see our face and walk away and forget what it looks like. I don't want to have a congregation full of idiots, and so I want to help them obey Christ by being doers of the word, following him. So how does application actually work its way into your sermon then? Do you use that grid for each point, that each main point you're going to make in your sermon, you explain it, illustrate it, apply it? Or do you think about the sermon as a whole as Mm -hmm. an explanation section, an illustration section, an application section? How does that work for you practically? Yeah. So guys that are just getting started in preaching, we would often tell them that the easiest thing to do is find one of those models of finding the points and then doing each of those for each point. I get why we do that because they come to the text and it might as well be Greek because they don't know what they're doing. They're, if you've never preached before, not preached much, it is a, it's not an easy task. Once you've done it for a long time, it becomes so natural, you realize, oh, I don't have to put everything into this pretty grid. It's got to fit Um, and all tied up into a bow. And so what I would say is, as a guy who believes in expositional preaching, expository preaching, what I say is the text has got to be the thing that drives what you're doing. So if the text has one overarching theme, one overarching point, then illustration and application may rest for the end. You apply one time at the very end. If it's more Pauline maybe, or it's an epistle, and the section of scripture has an overarching theme, but it breaks down into four parts, then you might want to do application for each of those four parts. But here's what I want to do. 
at the end of my sermon prep, on a Saturday night, maybe late, or a Sunday morning really early, I want to go back and I want to ask the question, will someone walk away knowing Jesus more? Not just knowing the themes of this text, knowing Jesus. Because I want to run that through the grid of Luke 24. All of Scripture is Mm -hmm. about Jesus. Will they walk away knowing Jesus more? Will they walk away loving Him more? Some of that has to do with my tone and my passion and and, uh, the way that I tell things in the in the sermon but then lastly will people be able to follow Jesus better after this and how do I do that how do I help them follow Jesus so I I would say in mine the majority of it it's I want to land the plane with application in some way I want to make sure before they leave they are either they know what to do what the text tells them to do if there's an imperative or I help them through questions get to the point where they specifically know how God wants them to obey this text. That's good. So you've helped us think about the questions that you use for the whole sermon. Will it help them know Jesus, uh, love Jesus, and follow Jesus? Um, What questions do you ask and do you have some questions that you think through specifically on will this help people follow Jesus? Are there questions that you think about to ask and answer ahead of time in preparation for helping somebody apply the text. Yeah, yeah. So well, one of the things I value is that that discipleship or following Jesus, knowing, loving, and following Him is not only um, accessible to everybody, but actual. And so I don't want to just throw out, well, here is one way you can obey this. If it's not going to be accessible to most people or even many people in the church, or it's going to be actual. Like you could, you could throw out any number of things. Of here's a way to obey this. You know, go do this, and and it's kind of a, a one-off. Maybe it's something the original text uh, applied to the original audience, and we say, well, you, you can go do this today, and it's really clear and it's simple in the text. But there's more to that. Is that all that it meant, or does it extrapolate out into other things? In other words, Nate, I want to make sure I don't let let people off the hook. Mm-hmm. I want anybody thinking, well, well, this text is speaking specifically to children. And so all the children in the room, here's your application. I left parents off the hook. Well, no, parents, you need to know. You need to parent in such a way that obedience for your children is possible and that it's joy-filled and that it's accessible for them, that there's an easy path and it's not filled with groaning. And so, well, that didn't say that in that text. No, but it leads to that. Mm-hmm. I can do systematic and biblical theology and get you there. I'll show you other verses if you want me to, but it's that sort of thing. And so one of the big questions I would say any preacher needs to ask is, who are the people in my congregation that need to obey this text? Well, yes, everybody. But what categories do they break down into? Mm -hmm. Do you have senior citizens and a lot of children? If you have both of those, they're going to obey this text very differently, probably most texts, because their lives are different. Do you have uh, parents or do you have singles with no kids? What do you have? Thinking through all the different demographic chunks or clusters and be able to say, how do I help them? You know, one of the classic examples, anytime you preach on marriage, use application there. If you're a thoughtful pastor, you have to think, how do I apply this for people who aren't yet married or might never be married in my church? Does this text just not apply to them? I think some people have taken that road, and that feels lazy to single people. Like, no, no, no. The Word of God, every word is breathed out by God and is useful. So how is this useful for me? And I think we got to do the hard work of making sure we apply it to them as well. Yeah, remembering the audience is so important. We were both in a gathering together a couple of months ago, and there was a guest speaker who came. 
and it was probably a talk that he had done before, I'm sure. And he's giving this talk and he just made this pastor joke in the middle. And he was like, what are the things that you're always afraid of are going to happen in your congregation? And he said, um, you know, first of all, that they're going to buy a lake house, right? <laughs> and then second of all, that their kids are going to join a travel team. That's right. And you think, oh, no, now they're going to be gone all the time. And, of course, the gathering of pastors that we were in is in the middle of the city. You know, we don't have anybody in our churches that's buying a, a, lake, house. a lake house, you know. Nope. Um, and to me, that was an example of... He just forgot his audience. Yeah. He forgot that even though I've, you know, done this talk before, I've got to contextualize it or That's it right. doesn't apply. That's right. Um, yeah. Because we know that knowledge isn't everything. The enemy knows the scriptures better than we do. Better than most of us. Better than most people in our churches for sure. Passion isn't everything. Passion and zeal without knowledge it leads us in all kinds of brokenness. We've got to have the wisdom of applying the word. And that's what application really is. It's wisdom. It's applied knowledge. It's here's the truth of God. How does it fit into my life? And we can lead people in wisdom, which I think is God's best for them, by showing them how this text shapes their worldview and how it can be extrapolated out to other areas of lives. And here are things to consider. Mm-hmm. But just as we can't be all things to all people all the time, and we can't hit every demographic or every nuance of a person's life, sometimes the text doesn't give us a direct application, but that doesn't mean there's not a job of applying the text. So instead, one of the things I've liked to do this last couple of years is I've been spending a lot of time in the Send Network culture. The Send Network culture, our training, our coaching, all of our events that we do in Atlanta to help train pastors and planters, we do a lot of interactive work that involves a lot of good questions. Coaching for us is about the art of asking a good question, of pulling out. And so what I do a lot of my sermons now for the application is I end with questions. And they're not questions that that I give them the answers to because I can't. Mm -hmm. I can give them what the text gives them as the imperative, but then they have to consider, okay, what did you hear today? What is God saying to you? And now that may seem like to some people, that's letting people off the hook with application. It's not. To tell, look at somebody and say, The Word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts deeply. And the Lord speaks through His Word. And then tell them, get them ready every week to know they're going to come in, and maybe Pastor Noah is going to say, what did you hear today? What does God want you to do with what you've heard? Mm -hmm. What is God saying to you? And that all of a sudden makes people better listeners to the Word of God. They know Him, they're stirred to love Him, and they're thinking, God, what do you want from me? What do you want for me? What do you want from me in this text? I like that a lot. Um, I've been thinking about what it would what would it be like to have a question on even like a business card or something for each message almost. Hmm. That as people are leaving, you've got greeters handing them out and talk about this at lunch or talk about this in the car yeah. or at home or just trying to get how do we help people move beyond hearing and actually thinking mm-hmm. about yeah. what to do. Yeah. I like that a lot. Yeah, my, my go-to whenever I don't have something as well is 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 that, that is useful for four things. The Word of God is useful. Um, and the way we've broken this down, somebody once called this the submissive hermeneutic. We submit ourselves to the Word of God and its interpretation, the way God intended in our lives. It teaches us uh, what to believe, what not to believe, how to live, and how not to live. Correction, rebuke. Uh, teaching and training in righteousness, how to live, how not to live, 
um, what to believe, what not to believe. And so anytime you read a text, and if I'm reading a text, I'm like, what does this mean for our people? I'm like, well, does it tell us something to believe or not believe? Teach us how to live or how not to live? And I can go there in application. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, something you have talked about before is how your relationship with your daughter has actually helped your yeah. application in preaching. Yeah. Can you tell us about that and yeah. why that's so important? Yeah, so my, my daughter, my oldest daughter at this point is 10 years old. And she's a Christian. She's been a, a believer for now, now for about three years. And we've gotten in the rhythm as a family when possible. Uh, we'd rather have our kids in the service with us, singing and worshiping and sitting under the preaching of God's Word. Our saved kids able to do that. And they do. And what Allie has done, she just kind of did this one day on her own. We're driving home and I'd preached and I don't always boil down all the big complicated things to simple forms like I should. And she had some questions she wrote down in her notebook. And she asked me those questions. Hey, what does this mean? Hey, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I answered all those questions and I made a commitment after that day that I want to begin preaching in such a way that her questions are answered before she asks them. So I think, will Allie understand this? Application is just like explanation. I want to make sure she not only understands this, I want to make sure that my daughter, who is a growing Christian, knows how to obey the Word of God. That's one of the reasons I think that parents don't want their kids in service. Kids are distracted. Why are the kids distracted? Because it has nothing to do with them. But if all of a sudden you engage them and they know they are going to have a message that is applicable to their life, I think they're going to pay more attention. In fact, one of the guys that inspired me to plant a church who wasn't a believer and still to this day gives me all kinds of grief. He's not a Christian, doesn't like my Christian stances and all kinds of things. He told me, though, that one of the things that turned him off most from the church, not only was the bad music that most of our churches have, because he's a musician, but he says, you got this guy up there talking about Isaiah or God knows what. It has nothing to do with my life. We do a disservice to not only the saved people, but the lost people in that room when we do not do the mostly easy work, I think, of showing them that the Word of God has application for their life. That is the easiest way to turn someone on to the supernatural God. We say, God is saying things to you thousands of years before you even existed. When they can see that, you've probably had this said before to you, Sometimes somebody comes up to you and says, I felt like you were just preaching to me. Mm-hmm. My response to that is, no, God was speaking to you. He knew you needed to hear these things, and so in my sermon prep this week, he made sure that I would know them to say. Like, that's God. And all of a sudden, they're wowed. They're like, God cares about me. God knows me. God loves me. I'm not the hero he is, and they are pressed further into to following Jesus. That's really good. So do you have other people that kind of serve as like a grid that help you do that? Who are some people that pastors should maybe think about preaching to? So you've got your daughter. Yeah, my daughter. You've got your lost friend. Those mm-hmm. are, you know, two very, they have very different questions they're going to bring. Absolutely. So who are some other people like that we should think about? Yeah, so I heard somebody say this before, and I think I've talked about this with illustrations, but some one pastor said he keeps a list of five or six people that's always changing from month to month or season to season on his whiteboard next to his desk. That is, he's doing sermon prep. He wants to make sure that they would understand the sermon. They would know how to apply it. The illustrations would hit them in such a way. And so I think everybody needs to think through um, older demographic, a younger demographic, the main demographics uh, that any text is speaking to, 
a left out demographic, and then obviously the lost demographic. So young and old, people we often on the fringes, we forget about, Mm -hmm. but they're there. And they're honestly, the young are going to have tons of energy and they're the future. The old are the saints that will, if they realize that they're needed and necessary, they will pour out all kinds of gifts. That main demographic that the text is speaking to, you want to make sure you hit that because the text is speaking to it. That left out demographic, like again, it's that illustration of you preaching to married people and the singles are like, well, what about us? Mm-hmm. Like that's where the gold's at. God's got something for them. And then you've got the lost demographic. I've heard it said before, it's cliche, I think at this point, if you don't preach like they're there, they won't ever show up. If you don't preach like there's lost people there, lost people aren't going to come. They come once, they're not going to come back because they didn't feel like it was applicable. If you want men, preach to men. You want families, preach to families. You want multi-generational, preach multi-generational. You want to reach all people, you got to figure out how to apply the text to all kinds of people. So it's thinking through your values in that and then using that as a grid. You're not done just because you got the sermon outline. You've only Mm -hmm. just begun because all kinds of people can teach the Bible, but God calls us as pastors to preach it, to make sure we apply it to people's lives. That's really good. Um, So you've talked about, you want to try to help people know, can you take me back to those four questions? Um, How to live, how not to live. um, What to believe and what not to believe. What to believe, what not to believe. Um, Have you ever received pushback from um, an older Christian when you start talking about believing the gospel or believing these things or not believing these things that it's like, well, I'm, I already believe that because I'm a Christian. Mm-hmm. Have you ever received that kind of pushback? And how do you, what do you mean when you say, um, trying to help somebody believe the right things? Does yeah. That make sense? Yeah. So I get that. I think that in the gospel centered era that we're living in, we might've done ourselves a little bit of a disservice by just gospelizing everything. Mm-hmm. It's the gospel, it's the gospel, it's the gospel. Yes, it is, but we have to know the context in which we're speaking to. We're speaking to a generation, especially the older one, that the gospel was the invitation into the kingdom of God, into believing the whole word of God, which we know is the gospel. Right. And so we have to use an idiom that they understand. So Just like we would do that for lost people, do that for saved people too. Mm-hmm. If you desire for them to grow as disciples, and so what I use often is, is Romans 12. It's the understanding of having a renewed mind. It's all about worldview. But one of my goals isn't just to get you to believe the gospel or to apply the gospel to every area of life. It is. I don't just say it that way. Is I want to help you develop a biblical worldview. I want you to see everything through the lens That's of really the Word of God. And so an older person, they can argue, well, I already believe the gospel. Like, let's move on to more things. I can do the exact same thing, but say, I want to develop your worldview that you see every aspect of life through the lens of Scripture. Then they're like, well, yeah, I can see that. I need to grow in some of those I think that's super good because I've, um, before I moved to St. Louis, I was part of a larger church that had a lot of older folks who have been Christians for a long time. And as our church started using more gospel-centered language, I do think it was just confusing to some people. Um, because right or wrong, the gospel for them was something that you use during evangelism. Yeah. It's not really something that comes up during discipleship. Mm-hmm. And what I, at first I was very like, you know, well, we need to attack that. We need to make sure that they understand that the gospel needs to apply for, you know, to every area of life. It's not the ABCs of the gospel yeah. or of Christianity. It's A to Z and, you know, that whole thing. Um, but then I realized they're just using different language. They And so I love that because that's what application is. That's mm-hmm. a good illustration of mm-hmm. application yeah. because you're just saying, 
okay, rather than me try to convince you using these words, let me use different words that you're going to understand mm-hmm. to accomplish the same thing. That's right, yeah. Because yeah. that's the hope. At the end of the day, it's help people know, love, and follow Jesus. And so I'll use whatever words I got to. I think Paul said something about that a few times. Yeah, do what you got to to help people come to know Jesus and then know how to grow as a disciple of his. Thanks for listening to the Luke 10.2 podcast. For more information about the SEND network in St. Louis, visit sendstl.com.